Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. The reading this evening is from Acts 2, and we're looking at verses 22 to 24, and then verses 36 through to 41. And that can be found on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. So Acts 2, starting at verse 22. Peter is talking to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Good evening. Uh, Summer is coming. It feels a bit warmer. Anyone wearing flip-flops? It's too soon for flip-flops. I've seen flip-flops. It's just wrong to go flip-flops quite yet. But anyway, uh, you know, it's feeling a bit nicer today. Anyway. Uh, before we kick off, why don't we just uh, pray, uh, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to speak to us tonight. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for uh, your good news that you have to share with us. And the fact that many of us here today are uh, just so aware of uh, what you've done for each of us. Lord, I pray that you help us to, to know it tonight more deeply and more strongly in our lives than um, ever before. In your name, amen. Brilliant. Well, um, do keep those, uh, the, the Bible open, and we'll refer to some of those uh, verses in a bit. Um, um, a few months ago, uh, I received uh, an email, and um, this, uh, this is what it said. It said, hi, good start. Um, it said, I like your website and live in the area. That's the church website. Okay. I was just wondering, what is the gospel and how does a person get right with God? That was it. Boom. That, what an, e- an amazing email to get. What an opportunity that is to explain the gospel. But however, sometimes the, the most easy questions are sometimes one of the hardest ones to try and articulate. You know, where do you start? You know, what, what, do you, what do you include? How much detail do you give? 
And um, in the end, uh, after probably a good hour uh, of writing and serious plagiarism from probably this book, Why Jesus, I, uh, I finally sent it. But to be honest, it wasn't as easy as I expected to, uh, to, to write. And um, I, I'm just wondering, what would you do if you were asked a similar question? You know, if a friend saw the difference of your faith, if you're a Christian tonight, if, if, if they saw the difference in your, of Jesus in your life and they ask you, actually, I want some of that. I want to experience some of that. How do I get it? Would you know what to say? Where would you begin? You know, would you get flustered? Would you maybe get tongue-tied, uh, unable to get across what you really believe? Maybe you wish there was someone else right there that you could go, hey, speak to them. Or that you could possibly download a new Wiz app called the Charkham app that would be helpful, helpful through all the kind of evangelical, evangelical, evangelistic needs. You know, that would be quite useful to have a Rupert Charkham app. He's, you know, he's a bright, wise man. But how do we cope when we are faced with those moments? For a while now, my, uh, our car, Lois, and my car has had some funny noises, and recently it's got a, another a, a light on the dashboard. And you can't get rid of the light. It's really annoying, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm almost tempted to draw a, like a permanent marker over the light so it, I can you know, be ignorant of it. But the guy in the garage says it's going to, you know, may fail its MOT because of this light. So uh, I decided to go out and have a look at some other cars and just see what's available. So Lois and I went to a second-hand dealer this week, and we walked around these cars, and I had one of my kids with me, and there were some salespeople there, but they, they were kind of doing their own thing and weren't spending much time looking at us. Um, and after a while, uh, we were getting a bit restless, so Lois, kind of the brave one, uh, kind of ventured into the office, determined to kind of get some, you know, a conversation going and ask someone about it. So we went in there, went, hello, um, we, we, are, we are looking to... Uh, into buying a car. He says, okay, see anything you like? And I was like, well, I, to be honest, I don't really know what I'm looking for. Uh, do you, uh, this, and this question just popped into my head. This is only a question that happens when you have, you know, you get to a certain stage of life. And I said, you know, what is the most reliable car? The most depressing question ever. <laughs> anyway, the most reliable car that, you know, something that's going to last me a while, that's really safe. And uh, he went, well, um, they're pretty much all the same these days. They're pretty safe. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> like, well, that's really narrowing my search down. Uh, so wanting him to, to push him, him a little bit further, he said, okay. I said, all right, um, you know, you're a car salesman. You must love cars. You know, what would you buy? If you were in my circumstances, what car would you buy? He, this is exactly what he said. Um, to be honest, I don't really buy cars. What is going on here? So uh, we promptly, uh, you know, left. And he, he was truly an awful car salesman. And, you know, if you're going to sell cars, you'd think you know, that, that you'd be interested in him in some capacity. But he was not. Well, this good news that we have to share... Some of, we, sometimes when we hear this good news, we think, actually, well, I'm not an evangelist. So it's not me to, to stand up and speak to big crowds of people. But we don't need to be that person. But we do need to be people who can speak with enthusiasm about this good news. How often I think we often feel that we're slightly embarrassed about this news. It's that kind of 
awkward life choice that we've been had to make a while ago, and when friends ask us about it, it's like, well, it's a bit, it's a bit of shame. You have to bring it out. Oh, it's just difficult to explain. But this is good news. And explaining why we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the difference that that has made in our life and could happen, you know, make in their life is exciting, something exciting to share. You know, it might not be on a platform like here because, to be honest, that is pretty terrifying. Uh, but there are always opportunities to share when that moment arises. And when it does, what would you say? Now, I don't intend to give the ultimate like, answer to telling people the good news, but I do want to give some ideas from today's passage about what is important. Now, before I do, I just left the book over here that I'm going to go and get because I realized I would forget that. <laughs> Always be prepared. There you go. Um, there was a, uh, that was a quick interlude. Uh, there was a man called uh, Reverend John Harper. And uh, he's a Scottish minister who had a particular passion for leading people to the Lord. And he received a call to serve in the famous Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And he embarked on the supposedly unsinkable ship, the Titanic. And he, went, he was going there to take up his appointment. And when the Titanic struck that fatal iceberg, Harper was one of those that were thrown into the icy waters of the Atlantic. And one account of this tragedy was told by a young Scotsman at a service in Canada. And um, this is his testimony. Four years ago, when I left England on board the Titanic, I was a careless, godless sinner. I was in this condition on the night when the terrible catastrophe took place. Very soon, with hundreds more, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the Atlantic. I caught hold of something and clung to it for dear life. The wail of awful distress and the perishing all around was ringing in my ears when there floated nearby me a man who too seemed to be clinging to something. He called to me, Is your soul saved? I replied, No. <laughs> it is not. Then he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We drifted apart for a few minutes when we seemed to be driven again, again once more. Is your soul saved? Again, he cried out. I fear it is not, I replied. Then if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your soul will be saved. That was his further message of intense appeal to me. But again, we were separated by the rolling currents. I heard him call out this message to others as they sank beneath the waters. There and then, with two miles of water between me and uh, my desperation, I cried out to Christ to save me. I believe upon him and I was saved. In a few minutes, I heard this man of God say, I'm going down, I'm going down. Then, no, no, I'm going up. That man was John Harper. And I love that little story because it, it, this John Harper, he was intense about pointing this man to Jesus. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it might sound obvious, but, but Jesus is our good news. 
if we're feeding the hungry, caring for the broken, loving our neighbor, but not revealing the person of Jesus, then that is not good news. It may be the outworking of the good news, but it isn't the good news itself. It is the person of Jesus that attracts people. Therefore, we must keep the spotlight on him. And in our passage today, Peter does exactly that. He is proclaiming who this person Jesus is and the impact he has on our life. So the first thing I want to say is we need to focus on the person of Jesus. When we're proclaiming this good news, when we're sharing it, and when we're hearing it, if it's the first time right now, we need to focus on the person of Jesus. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Um, I'm reading the um, Bible in a year at the moment, and if you're doing the kind of HDB one, I know some people are, you may remember Nikki uh, Gumbel describing that over the 20 years of running small groups in Alpha, he has noticed a shift in our culture, and there seems to be a change in people's attitude to the person of Jesus. Many will say they believe in God, and some are even drawn into the person of the Holy Spirit, but increasingly, Jesus has become the, the stumbling block. And I remember um, last term in, in Alpha that we've, I, I had people in our group asking about, you know, about Jesus. And just, we just don't get this Jesus bit. You know, is he really the, the universal savior? This is the same battle that has been going on for, for centuries. You know, we're happy to believe in Jesus, uh, a God maybe among many. But in the uniqueness of, of that him, he is alone, the, the son of God, that can often cause offense. But in this passage today, we read of Peter's testimony to, the, to this large crowd about who this man Jesus really was. That he was not just a good man, or, or, nor a prophet, nor a God among others, but in fact, he was the Lord and Messiah, as it says in verse 36. He is the Lord and Messiah. And then when we read through the, the book of Acts, that's, this is the book that happens just after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it, which, here we discover that Jesus' disciples are not following some kind of philosophy or a system of morals to live by, but they're, they're following the living, loving person of Jesus. Wherever you look in the early preaching of the good news, it's always focused on the person of Jesus. Jesus, the one who can fill an empty life in chapter 2, who can restore a paralyzed man in chapter 3, who can remove a demonic spirit from a little girl in chapter 16, or rescue sailors from a storm in chapter 27. When we read through the scriptures, it's there we get an understanding that Jesus was more than just a man. But in fact, he was the Son of God. So that's the first thing. When we're speaking about the good news, we need to focus on the person of Jesus. I know it sounds obvious, but it can easily be missed out. And the second thing I want to look at is that we need to focus on the death of Jesus. Peter then uh, tells them in verse 23, he says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. See, to understand the good news, we first have to understand the importance of the cross. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said this, Surely we make too little of our Redeemer's death. I fear that even we who preach most concerning it dwell too little upon it. That we who pray plead it too little. That we who sing praise our Lord too little for his wondrous death. And that we who live upon his grace yet think too little of the channel by which it flows to us. Christ's death is his glory and it ought to be ours also. The cross is the central event in history. My daughter has this little Bible uh, that, um, and it, it basically describes how throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament is whispering the name of Jesus. And I just love that image that Jesus, you may not read his name directly in the Old Testament, but it's whispering his name. He is definitely there. And, it's, and when we get to the cross, we have this, uh, uh, this culmination of God's master plan of bringing God's people back to himself. It is the central event in history. And Peter makes it clear to his hearers in this passage that they were implicated in the human guilt of putting Jesus on this cross. That they were to blame. It was their fault he was hanging there. But you know what? It, it is also ours. I used to do some work in um, prisons, and one of the best things about doing work with prisoners is that they, they often understand the meaning of what it means to be a sinner. Uh, you don't have to spend maybe the first 20 minutes of your, your talk explaining that they need a savior. They tend, to, they tend to get that, that they are broken, fallen people. They know they've messed up. They often know they're not good enough. However, many of us struggle to even get to that conclusion we look around us and think, well, compared to others, we're not that bad. Actually, do I really need a savior? Well, the Nobel Prize winner, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, who was in prison for eight years for criticizing Stalin, he wrote this. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor through classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. We are all created in the image of God. You know, human beings are capable of great acts of love, courage, and heroism, yet not one of us, apart from Jesus, is without sin. And there is a cost to sin. If you came to my um, house for dinner, you would be very lucky, admittedly. But if you came to my house for dinner, we would lay out the table beautifully. And if uh, by accident, yeah, you, or on purpose, broke one of my wife's and my nice china plates, uh, we would have a choice to make. Either you would go out and uh, buy one of these nice china plates that we got for our wedding day and had a lot of memories in it. Uh, and you go and do that. Or... I could say, actually, don't worry, I'll go out and I'll buy it. But that would cost me. Someone has to pay. If God is all good, holy, loving, righteous, then he can have no relationship with sin. And the price of sin is death. And someone has to pay. 
It can either be you or it can be Jesus. And we need to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, his body was being destroyed in the worst possible way. But that was nothing compared to what was happening to his soul. When he cried out that God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself as all of God's anger against sin was focused on Jesus. If a mild acquaintance rejects you, now that feels pretty bad. If, if a, a good friend does the same, that hurts even worse. Or maybe your, if your wife, your husband, or a family member does that, then the pain is just unbearable. And if they say they don't want to be with you anymore, it's just horrendous. The longer, deeper, and more intimate the relationship, the more torturous is any separation. And the son's relationship with the father was far more intimate than any human relationship. When Jesus was cut off from God, he went from the deepest pit and most powerful furnace beyond all imagining, and he did it voluntarily for us. In Romans 3, 25, and this is the message version, I think it just sums it up really well. It says this, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. What makes me a follower of Jesus today is knowing that I am a sinful man. I see the pain it causes me when I turn my back on God and what, how it causes others. I see the pain it causes those around me who are living their lives um, trying to find happiness in other things and not the Lord. I see the pain there. I'm a Christian today because I, of what Jesus did for me on this cross. He took the punishment that was meant for me onto himself so I could ask for forgiveness for my sins and not have to pay the price. And how do I know this to be true? How do you know this to be true? Well, that's the third thing. Is we need to focus on the resurrection. Verse 24. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. On the, on the day Lois and I um, arrived from uh, to the beautiful city of Cambridge, uh, we first arrived here, boxes are everywhere, uh, and uh, I came out and I saw one of my neighbors, and, um, I, and I met him, and I found out he's a, he's a Muslim, and we got chatting, and he basically asked me what I did, and I told him I was a vicar, and straight away, the first thing he kind of asked me was, so do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Like, whoa. Okay, um, Lois, come and uh, meet a new neighbor. It'd be great. Just, yeah, hi. Yeah. And actually, ever since that, uh, that day, I've had many conversations with him about this person, Jesus, about this crazy thing in his mind about Jesus rising from the dead. We've been speaking through a hedge most of the time, and uh, we've had incredible conversations. But the resurrection, it is shocking to many. But it's crucial in our understanding of the good news. 
If I avoided speaking about that to my, with my neighbor, then actually I'd be missing a massive thing. This is, this is so unique. It's, it's so wonderful. Because it's ha- through it, we know, uh, how do we know that Jesus is God? Or how do we know that he has the power to forgive us? Or how do we know that this life is not just it and there is eternity and uh, you know, heaven that, waiting for us? It's because this man, Jesus, did not stay in the tomb. He didn't stay there. But he rose again. Death, it couldn't hold him. You see, the cross without the resurrection is just a, a really sad end to a great story. However, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is hugely compelling, and I haven't got time to go into it now, but one thing I do want to point out in this passage is when Peter speaks to this crowd, and in verse 32, he says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Jesus' resurrection was not just reserved to one or two um, eager disciples who are longing and hoping and wishing that Jesus was raised from the dead and maybe in delusional, you know, thought it up. But he was seen by all the believers. They were all witnesses. And we're not talking about just the 12. Uh, We're talking about, in this chapter before, in in 1 verses 15, it talks about 120 of them um, coming together. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about 500 people witnessing with their own eyes the resurrected Christ. That's pretty big evidence. And the result being, throughout the book of Acts, the believers always proclaimed their belief that Jesus had indeed risen and talked about their personal relationship with this risen Lord. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. And we, we need to make it known. If you love the Lord, then we've been given this good news to share. For we know a God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor he will harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities as it says in Psalm 103, because the Lord Jesus Christ has took them on himself. Let us be people who speak of this good news, who tell those about what Jesus has done, that he is is God's son who came on earth, that he died for us, and that he is alive today. And that means if each of us respond to this message, that there is some incredibly amazing good news that we can tell them. And that is this. Firstly, we have forgiveness from the past. We have a new life here today. We have unconditional love. And we have a hope for the future. Forgiveness from the past, a new life here today, unconditional love and a hope for the future. And just quickly, you know, forgiveness from the past, that, that we have a savior, someone who's taken all the penalties of all the things we've ever done wrong in the past. Anyone has ever, anything anyone has ever done wrong against us and anything we will ever do in the future. And Peter tells the crowd who want to respond to this message, this wonderful message of forgiveness. He says, asking, what do we do? How do we respond? He says, verse 38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because it's through Jesus that we get forgiveness. If you're struggling with forgiveness at the moment, you don't really believe it to be true, then come and get prayer at the end of this service because 
The Lord Jesus gives forgiveness. The good news also is a new life here today, that Christ wants to be part of your life right here, right now. He wants to have this intimate relationship with you that will change your life for the good. How is this possible? Well, it's God's gift to us. In verse 38, it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God's gift. When we come to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, we will get this gift. You know, we don't have to do anything. We just, we get a gift. It's extraordinary. That's basically the power of Jesus living on us. When we get the Holy Spirit, things change. Our lives change. That is, that is good news. That is good news for, for all of us. The good news is also that we have unconditional love. That we don't have to try and do things to be loved, God. That there is nothing you can do that will separate yourself from the love of God. But God loves you completely. And sometimes we know it, but we don't know it. And um, maybe if that's you tonight, we would love to pray for you that you would really know it. That God's love is unconditional. It doesn't have strings attached. It's unconditional. And finally, the good news is hope for the future. That no longer can death hold us because Christ defeated death on the cross. And we can have eternal life in heaven. Now that may be a bit of a hard one to believe. Sometimes that's quite a difficult one. Well, Tim Keller writes this. Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. But if Jesus is risen then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. Our future is so much more certain because we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So four things that Jesus has done for us is forgiveness from the past, a new life here today, unconditional love, and a hope for the future. And uh, if that's something you can just you know, memorize or help you, that will just be a great way of being able to speak about what Jesus has done for you. And I remember this day being, you know, very real for me when I was, uh, uh, I was introduced to the Lord at the age of 10, but it was actually really at the age of 15 that this really came home to me, and it suddenly became in kind of technicolor. And uh, there was a guy in my school who I um, didn't like. Uh, he used to bully me a bit, and I didn't like him, but he became a Christian. I was like, oh, come on, seriously. And um, uh, he became a Christian, and he came to me, and he slipped this little note under my desk, which I, at my door, which I still have. And uh, it, it just said, Ollie, I really you know, think you're great. <laughs> good, good start. And um, uh, I think we could do some great things uh, in, this, in this school for the Lord, and uh, let's tell people about Jesus. And this little note, I've kept this little paper. I should have brought it up, but I've kept this bit of paper. And from that moment on, it almost like it gave my, my spiritual journey rocket boosters because suddenly I got it. Just, I figured, I got the gospel. You know, I didn't like understand it all, but I got it in my life so that I would go, okay, I want to tell people about Jesus. And um, as a result, we ended up telling all our friends and our going speaking assemblies and Christian unions and other schools and over about a year, maybe a quarter of our school were coming to our Christian union in a week. It was just crazy. But the Lord used us because we, at that point, age 15, we, we got it. And it was exciting. We're all called to let people know about this good news, to get excited about it. And uh, I don't think it should be something that we should just, oh, I'm going to go and tell someone about Jesus. Oh, come on. Jesus loves you, man. 
It's just like, no, I think it needs to come out of uh, kind of a, a love. And it's like actually being in love. If you've been in love, uh, and you're not anymore, sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you are in love right now, that's great. Didn't write that down. Uh, and, um, and when you introduce, you know, when you, when you meet a group of people and um, you, you want to tell, tell them about this person you love, you, 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 you get quite excited about it. You, you want to tell them, you know, say their name and what they're like and what they're interested in. And you, you, you kind of get quite enthusiastic about it. And in one way, you're trying to get them to love the person before they've even met them. Do you ever find that? Anyway, and... Um, uh, and I think it's the same when with our relationship with God. He is the ultimate lover of us, the one who's given everything for us, laid his whole life, uh, laid his, down his only son for us. And when you know that for yourself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes the way you, you speak about God. That You're just excited about wanting to introduce people to this, this God of love that is just amazing. And you just get to be the person to introduce. What a privilege that gets to be. If you don't know the Lord today, just finishing with this, then I invite you to know him. He loves you far more than you can imagine. But he also hates the sin in our lives far more than you can imagine. God needed and wanted to die for you so he can be in relationship with you. But it's your choice. He doesn't force himself on you, just like I can't force my children to love me or my wife to love me. But he waits his arms open wide, calling you to come back home, to be in a relationship with him. And if you want to make that real for yourself, in the same way I did age 15, then uh, you know, why not do that now? I'm going to get the band to come up. I'm just going to, just, just going to pray. Pray a little prayer. And um, if that's something you haven't done before, then I'll just uh, maybe uh, pray that. Um, you can pray this with me. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this, this amazing good news that I've heard today. Lord, I thank you uh, for uh, what you've done for me. I'm, I'm sorry for the things I have done in my life, and uh, maybe you want to bring some things to him right now. Lord, please forgive me. I've now turned from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I now receive that gift. Now please come into my life through your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Amen. Amen. If you did that prayer today, please do come and speak to someone about that. But um, I've kind of jumped the gun, haven't I? We normally have prayers right now. But um, why, don't we, why don't we worship, if that's okay? We're going to have a, just a time of worship. And then um, if that's something you would like to, to be prayed for, then I, I would just encourage you to come. If that's something you've done before, come, and, come up to the front and we'll pray for you. I'm going to sit over here and do come and just see me. I know it's a big, brave thing to do, but uh, it'll be a great honor. And then um, we're going to worship as a, as a church, and then we're going to come and pray after that.